Attention, please. You're listening to TalkZone.com, Internet Talk Radio. It's time for Healthy Talk Radio. By the powers vested in me, by the Federal Communications Commission. Coming to you live from the headquarters of the Global Health Network and across the world wide web. (gasps) Computers can do that? It's America's longest running radio program dedicated to your health and wellness. What's taking place here is an alternative approach. Now, the woman who's changing the face of health care each and every day. That's the fact, Here's Deborah Ray. Good day. Welcome to Healthy Talk Radio. I'm Deborah Ray. Well, apparently there's a new breed of healthcare tourist. Uh, apparently with skilled surgeons and attractive exchange rate, many people are traveling to South America to get some plastic surgery. Well, the statistics are alarming in terms of the number of children in this country affected. What has changed with our foods? What is the correlation with one out of every 17 children under the age of three with a food allergy? We are joined today by the founder of Allergy Kids, Robin O'Brien, joining us today on behalf of the campaign to label genetically modified foods. They're on our store shelves right now. Robin O'Brien will tell us more about allergies and GMO right here on Healthy Talk Radio. Now the news and views about the news you won't hear anywhere else. The Healthy Talk Radio News Digest. The mind-body connection has some interesting studies of late, including the one out of Harvard, taking a look at a group of women who cleaned motel rooms for a living there in Boston. Half the group were told that their daily activities constituted just an unbelievable, healthy approach to overall fitness and heart health. The other group was told nothing of the kind. Now, remember, neither group changed anything at all. At the end of the study period, the group who were told that their daily activities constituted a heart-healthy and a fitness regime had only not only lost weight, lowered their cholesterol, lowered their blood pressure as well. So with new research coming out of the University of Illinois at Chicago, indicating that if you have mouth sores, wounds in your mouth, sores of the mucous membranes in the mouth, and are depressed, they don't heal as well. There's something about those molecules of emotion that can literally affect every aspect, every um, you know, f- factor in terms of our body's healing from heart health. We certainly know those molecules of emotion can affect our heart health. We can actually have heart attacks uh, just because of strong a very intense emotion, a form of a heart attack. We know that those molecules of emotion can certainly affect our immune system. It's called psychoneuroimmunology. And all of us know, just when we're feeling at wit's end, stressed beyond belief, that's when we're much likely to come down with a cold or a flu. Well, now it appears that uh, depression has a marked significance in terms of our body's healing ability. These uh, uh, participants in this clinical study were actually paid money to receive a small circular wound on the roof of their mouth. They took daily videos of the wound, and they found that the depressed subjects 
were four times more likely than their non-depressed counterparts to take longer than seven days to heal the wound. Of course, there's a growing body of evidence to suggest that heart disease and depression is not a particularly good outlook. So perhaps the physician of the future should be taking a look at that patient's outlook on life, those molecules of emotion, in addition to their cholesterol levels. Well, it has huge implications for U.S. courts. In fact, there are some out there who predict that it may replace those lie detector tests very soon. What we now find is that functional magnetic resonance imaging techniques, brain scans, can gaze deep into our brain to view neural regions that monitor behavior and regulate emotions. That gives the whole field of, of you know, legal aspects, forensics, uh, 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 police, the ability to take a look at uh, perhaps a, a perpetrator and indicate whether or not their decision-making process um, has been affected by a brain abnormality. There's great evidence to suggest that if somebody is is not telling the truth when it comes to law enforcement, that these brain scans can reveal what that person really is thinking. So very interesting indeed uh, with this new technology. And we are now finding uh, even those uh, back in the 60s who were mass murderers, uh, differences in their brains thanks to this new technology, which um, why it poses deep challenges for the legal system. It um, certainly has many aspects of uh, potential as well but also may change the whole field of litigation with these brain scan results being used by um, lawyers in terms of arguing that somebody has a brain abnormality, perhaps they should not be held responsible for their crimes. So with brain scans uh, able to tell the difference between somebody lying versus somebody telling the truth, they also might be misused having big implications for our nation's court systems. This is eye-opening, um, certainly not unexpected. Interesting research coming out of very prestigious, the Fox Cancer Center in Philadelphia, taking a look at people who have a life-threatening challenge, cancer, that even more important than the medical factors that predict your survival from cancer, i.e., what is the aggressiveness of the cancer? Has it already spread? You know, how affected is your immune system? They found a direct correlation between quality of life, having someone to drive you to cancer treatments, making sure you're eating, quote, may even be more important the standard medical factors in predicting cancer survival. They found that uh, those patients who had a below average quality of life before getting treatment for lung cancer had a 70% higher death rate than those with a better quality of life. And of course, we know that social contact, social network, 
as well as overall quality of life in terms of activity and nutritional status has a significant role to play in terms of who gets the disease, how well they do with it, who survives it. This presentation before the American Society of Therapeutic Radiology and Oncology's annual meeting being held in Los Angeles, when they consider factors like the size of the tumor, the stage of the disease, other measures that predict whether or not a cancer patient will survive, they found it just pales in comparison to the patient's overall health, their mobility, their emotional stability, their social support, that if you have someone to help you with meals, provide you transportation, give you medications, take care of you physically and emotionally, you are much more likely to be able to survive the disease. And amazing what we now find with all of our focus, all of the money spent on treating cancer in this country, that often quality of life is never considered when, quote, it may be the key to cancer survival. Interesting indeed. Well, speaking of cancer, <laughs> a number of studies coming out today which seems to uh, uh, rise to the uh, illustration of whiplash studies. One day it shows it does, the next day it shows it does not. What they have uh, now found in a team led by the National Cancer Institute uh, epidemiologist that tracking people, a lot of people, over 16,000 people who got cancer, who died of cancer, following their vitamin D levels, that people with higher levels of vitamin D had a 72% reduced risk of dying from colon cancer. While they went on to indicate that that doesn't translate to preventing death from other forms of cancer, now along comes another study of the Northern Cancers, uh, uh, California Cancer Center in Fremont. It's uh, a study published in the American Journal of Epidemiology indicate that sunlight, because it activates vitamin D, significantly reduces a woman's chance of developing advanced breast cancer. In fact, a 47% reduced risk of advanced breast cancer. So a preponderance of studies indicating that vitamin D does make a difference in your risk of cancer. One study shows it doesn't. Who are you going to believe? We're going to return to talk about the disturbing incidence of food allergies among our children with the founder of Allergy Kids, Robin O'Brien, joining us today. We'll talk about drawing the link between genetically engineered foods and Allergy Kids on Healthy Talk Radio. Consolidate your health care information and get everything you need from one source. Healthy Talk Radio with Deborah Ray. She's founded an important organization to talk about a topic with some sobering statistics behind it. Did you realize that one out of every 17 children under the age of three has a food allergy? And we now have some five, some five million American children suffering from food allergies. If you and I have spoken over the years, there is really little in terms of our body's symptoms that cannot be correlated 
to food allergies. And we are delighted and honored to uh, have uh, just an intriguing background of a, a guest who uh, joins us today is founder of Allergy Kids, uh, a Fulbright fellow, uh, went on uh, with uh, um, professional expertise in advertising and marketing uh, to begin work as an equity uh, analyst after getting an MBA from Rice University. Um, proud of the fact, as well she should be, that Allergy Kids is the only food allergy organization whose medical advisors are not funded by processed food corporations or the chemical corporations uh, that engineer proteins and allergens into our kids' food. She joins us today to talk about allergy kids, about genetically engineered foods and our kids. She's Robin O'Brien who joins us today. Robin, hello and welcome. Thanks, Deborah. It's great to be speaking with you this morning. So tell us the story. You were a busy mother of four, and I can imagine uh, what constituted your day. Why the need? Why did you well, feel? Yeah. It was it was an interesting story because about a year and a half ago, my fourth child um, was diagnosed with food allergies. And, you know, I'd had four kids in five years, and we just kind of blazed right through it, never stopped. We didn't have a family history of food allergies or anything. And um, that morning, I had made scrambled eggs for the kids. I put them on my baby's high chair, and um, she was fussy. I figured she was tired, and I put her down for a nap. And I went in to check on her, and her face was absolutely swollen shut. And, of course, being a mother of four, I turned to my older three, and I, I looked at them, and I thought, you know, what have you done? What did you put in the baby's face? And I got those blank little kid stares, and I suddenly turned and looked at that baby and thought, oh, my gosh, what has happened? And I was completely ignorant. I had not been educated in food allergies. I did not recognize it as a food allergic reaction. Raced her to the doctor, was told she had food allergies, and began this massive learning curve process. And I sat down that day, and I started doing research, obviously, because that was my background as this equity analyst. And um, I was stunned. It's one out of 17 children under the age of three. And those statistics themselves are five years old. So you can imagine what that yeah. number is today. Yeah. And then from there, you know, I thought, why is there this gaping um, lack of education, lack of awareness? You know, how could someone who has been educated be so ignorant in this? And I was stunned to, to learn about the statistics, um, to, to, to realize the prevalence, you know, and I began to question a lot of things. You know, where did all these kids come from? I mean, when we were younger, everybody ate PB&Js. You know, it wasn't considered a loaded missile on a lunchroom table. And so um, as I started doing some research, you know, I kept circling back to changes in the food, and why are these leading pediatric allergists not addressing changes in the food? It's, it's a very obvious correlation. Um, it just seems like, you know, if food is the enemy, what's changed in food to make it the enemy? And um, and, and as I kept reaching out to these allergists, um, I was dismissed repeatedly. And, um, and at that point, I thought, okay, well, I have an MBA in finance. I'll pull their financial statements and, and see what it tells me. And sure enough, in pulling the financial statements, I learned that um, the larger food allergy organizations and their medical advisors were funded by the chemical company and by the processed food, you know, basically the junk food company. Sure. And again, I mean, I grew up in the South. I ate my fair share of Twinkies and Boys as a kid. And um, I was not well-versed in the important role of diet and nutrition. And so I thought, you know, why would, why would the junk food companies be wanting to fund food allergy research? That doesn't make sense. And that was when last fall I first learned about um, the recent introduction of genetic engineering. And, again, I had never 
heard of this stuff. I didn't know what a GMO was. For all I knew, it could have been some super vitamin they were injecting into something. I had no idea. But what I learned was that in 1996, the U.S. adopted widespread use of these genetically engineered crops. And the reason for that was that there was growing concern at that time 10 years ago over the spraying of these industrial chemicals and the insecticides and the pesticides on the crop. And everybody was, you know, starting to sound the alarm bells on the spraying of these chemicals. Right. And so what the scientists did is that they engineered those chemicals into the cells of the plant itself. And so the seeds were re-engineered to contain these chemicals so that as the plant grew, it could release the chemicals and ward off the insects and the little creatures, whoever's trying to eat it, you know, could kill these little creatures, whoever's trying to eat it. And so in 1996, with the first genetically engineered crop that was introduced, which at the time was soy, suddenly there was a 50% increase seen in the soy allergy, and it was the first time that the soy allergy landed in the top 10 in terms of, you know, allergens. And then from 1997 until 2002, there was a doubling of the peanut allergy. And so, you know, again, being a, a number head and a research wonk, I started, you know, correlating the data, and I thought, you know, what is in a peanut that they would want to duplicate in soy? And I reached out to agriculturalists and a lot of the scientists that are involved in this space, and, you know, they were like, well, that's obvious. You know, peanut is a very hardy, it's a hardy um, crop, and so, you know, you could sort of fortify a soybean by making it more like a peanut. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, there was research um, that highlighted how with the genetic engineering of soy, there's an allergen that has been created in soy that is 41% identical to a known peanut allergen. That allergen is ARH3. And that allergen is recognized by 44% of peanut allergic patients. And so everybody's pointing the finger at the peanuts when in soy with an allergen that mimics the peanut. And so um, as the soy is used in every processed food you can imagine, I mean, you know, if you read the side of a box of anything, it's got soy lecithin, vegetable oil, soybean oil. And so because our culture is so um, incredibly dependent on the processed food industry and the junk food industry, the children are getting exposed to these allergens and they aren't even aware of it. And so with the introduction of these of these newly engineered um, toxins and these newly engineered chemical crops, basically, in 1996, we've just suddenly seen this epidemic increase in the number of children with food allergies. And, I mean, you can probably relate to this. It's actually not just children. I mean, we're seeing allergic reactions across the board, and, you know, an allergy kid can be 2 or 72. Um, and so as, as these chemical crops were introduced um, in the U.S., Government agencies around the world basically said no human trials have ever been done to, to assess the safety of these crops. And because of that, we're either going to ban these ingredients or label them in children's food. And so government agencies in Europe, the U.K., Russia, Asia, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, around the world, most developed countries, almost 40 developed countries, banned or labeled these ingredients in children's foods because of the risk that they might present and the fact that no human trials were ever conducted. In the U.S., our government agencies decided not to do that. And again, if you go to research out of Europe or Australia, they often refer to allergies and asthma as American epidemics. 
And so because our government agencies chose not to value the lives of the American children the way the government agencies in Europe have valued the lives of the European children or Australia, essentially what has happened is that our children have been engaged in this human trial for the last 10 years. And suddenly we are seeing that one out of every three children has what we refer to as the four A's, either allergies, asthma, autism, or ADHD. And if you trace it to these toxins that were introduced in 1996 and the fact that we as mothers have not been told of the risks that they may present, so we consume them during pregnancy. And again, as mothers of young children, we haven't been told of the risks that they present, and they're found in every jar of baby formula in the U.S. Our children are being exposed to these toxins and these neurotoxins and these chemicals that have been engineered into our crops, and as parents, we haven't been informed, and we haven't been able to give an informed consent. Don't know to engage questions our, to ask. Absolutely, Robin, hold that thought. Our kids. We don't want to miss a minute. The founder of Allergy Kids, AllergyKids.com. Robin O'Brien joins us today. We invite you to join us right here on Healthy Talk Radio. The information on Healthy Talk Radio may be eye-opening, controversial, and disturbing to some closed-minded members of the medical community, but it is all well-documented and presented by credentialed guests as well as our knowledgeable host. It may not represent the views of this network, this radio station, or its sponsors, but hey, that's life. Delighted and honored to have Robin O'Brien join us today. She is a mother who is making a difference in universal food allergy awareness. Her website, AllergyKids.com, although she's deeply involved in many other advisory boards as well, bringing us the message. Um, and we, we've talked about it. You know, the British epidemiology studies indicating that we all of a sudden have this amazing, sobering increase in allergies. And the predictions are by the year 2050 that 100% of people, everybody, will have some degree of allergies. Why? What's going on? Who is connecting the dots? And as you found and are eloquently telling us, Robin, you know, and, and you well know this, certainly as the mother of four, you know, our healthcare system is is designed and devoted to treat symptoms um, and often just does not look at the big picture that we've we've changed our food and what is probably as amazing uh, we'd welcome your insight as well that most people don't know it's already on the grocery store shelves as we speak yeah absolutely it's stunning I mean like I mentioned before in 1996 it was when these these ingredients, these engineered ingredients containing chemical toxins, novel proteins, allergens, they were first introduced 10 years ago. And in those 10 years, now 90% of our soy contains these ingredients. And the estimates are anywhere between 50% and 70% of our corn now contains these ingredients. And 75% of processed foods now contain these ingredients. And it's not on the label in the United States. However, it is on the label around the world. In developed countries, in 40 developed countries around the world, it's on the label so that consumers can make an informed choice as to whether or not they want to be part of this human trial, given that no human trials were ever conducted. And so it's stunning because it's happened so quickly. And one of the things that we are addressing um, is that corn has recently been engineered because of this whole craze for, for, for ethanol. Sure. 
at the, at the same time, we're consuming this corn, and as you know, high fructose corn syrup is found in who knows what high percentage of children's food. And so, you know, there were there were studies that has linked high fructose corn syrup to to the pervasiveness of diabetes and obesity. But when you start to layer in chemical toxins on top of that, there's an immediate need to address this on behalf of our children. And of course, if if, if, we, if we take a look, um, you know, at the, at these changes to our diet and, and find these sobering statistics, as as you uh, mentioned, Robert, in terms of allergy, asthma, autism, and attention deficit, you know, begging the questions. Um, you know, we, we don't know what's caused it. You know, why don't we err on the side of caution when we take a look at, at foods? I think it's amazing to all of us. And, and as you uh, indicated, the fact that there have been no long-term studies. So, you know, why should your children, why should any children literally be the experiment here, Robin? I know. It really is stunning. And I think when you step back and you look at things again from a global perspective, around the world, Government agencies only allow things into the market on, you know, on the grocery store shelves once they have been proven safe. In the U.S., our system is backwards. They are allowed onto the grocery store shelves until they are proven dangerous. And so a perfect example of this is aspartame. Aspartame has recently been banned in children's foods around the world. Walmart's division in the U.K. has banned aspartame in children's foods in the U.K., because a study recently came out of Italy linking aspartame to breast cancer and brain cancer. Well, interestingly, what most people don't realize is that there was controversy around the approval of aspartame in the late 1970s and 1980. The CEO of the pharmaceutical company that introduced aspartame was Donald Rumsfeld. And people don't realize that there has been this revolving door in place. And again, I'm from an extremely conservative southern family. And to realize that this is the system that's been in place and how this system has failed the health of the American consumer and how quickly it is absolutely destroying the health of our children, you realize that these chemicals have been introduced by these corporations over the last 25 years. And as they were, you know, there was data that may not have been entirely presented. You know, that whole concept of tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth is what we teach our children. Sure. And in the U.S., it appears that the data has not been fully presented. A perfect example coming back to this corn is there was data that appears to have been withheld, trial data withheld, as this corn containing these chemical toxins was introduced in 2004. Obviously, they were racing it to market in, 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 a, in an effort to reduce our dependency on foreign oil. Same time, we're consuming this corn. Well, trial data was disclosed out of Europe and France and in Germany, highlighting how in a 90-day feeding trial, animals that were fed this corn in only 90 days, that's less than three months, showed toxicity in the liver and the kidneys. And it was sort of precancerous growth that were forming in a 90-day trial in the animals in this feeding study. Again, no human trials have been conducted, and so in our research I went to the U.S. Liver Foundation to see if there was a correlation. Had we seen suddenly an increase in liver or kidney cancers, given that that's what was showing in a 90-day feeding trial? Right. Sure enough, just this year, the American Liver Foundation put out a warning because they were suddenly seeing an increase in liver cancers in men and women after seeing, you know, multiple-year decline. 
And so, again, we have in the U.S., we, our system is, is failing us. It's failing our health. And chemicals that government agencies around the world see as, as risky because no human trials have ever been conducted. Government agencies around the world are, you know, they're banning the import of these ingredients because they are protecting the health of their citizens. In the U.S., it appears that our system is failing us, and in no way is that more apparent than in the health of our children. Mm-hmm. So your, your group there at Allergy Kids, you know, the difference that you want to make uh, you know, with these sobering statistics, uh, you know, we were just talking uh, that in the last two weeks there was just an intriguing uh, study going on at Berkeley, Robin, taking a look at carbon in Americans' hairs. And, of course, as you well know, the Centers for Disease Control has only recently started to take a look at toxic body burdens with the evidence suggesting that there are environmental toxins that certainly affect our children, the most vulnerable among us, as well as us. And they they found that 70% of the carbons in the typical American's hair came from corn. And if this corn is genetically engineered, What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, I think again, you know, one of the things you have to do, one of the things that we've done, and and it's it's staggering information, and it's a lot to process. But um, a lot of these uh, key spokespeople for industry um, are either very tied into government or they're very tied into um, these corporations. And a perfect example is that our nation's leading pediatric allergists, who are cited all over the press. Newsweek cover story this week cites these allergists. Um, they have been funded by the Glutamate Association. They have been funded by the Agrochemical Corporation. They actually are listed as co-inventors of genetically modified protein patents that are designed to increase the insecticidal activity in plants. Um, a lot of the leading pediatric allergists on the boards of other food allergy organizations have testified to the safety of things like MSG, MSG, again, is one of the chemicals that the U.K. has just moved to ban in children's foods because of its link to allergies, asthma, and ADHD. And so as you step back, um, one of the things that we are really pushing for at Allergy Kids is, is a forum and to open the discussion and to engage independent experts because we have a lot of industry-funded experts that we've been listening to for a long time who continue to present the theory that our houses are too clean and that's why our children have food allergies. That theory does not hold with a single mother that I have ever spoken with. We only wish that our houses were too clean. And where that may be a factor, to continue to ignore the risk that food presents and the chemicals in the food present to our children, is it, it will have dire consequences on the health of our kids. And I think when you, when you go to the CDC and you cite the statistics from the CDC, which I often do because... One of the statistics is children born in the year 2000, now one out of every three of those kids is expected to have diabetes, that 45% of children are expected to be insulin dependent within the next 10 years. The head of the CDC is also a presidential appointee, and she a few weeks ago tried to give, tried to give a speech highlighting the risks that, um, for example, global warming was presenting to our health as you know, we have this increased pollen count and everything else, and her speech was censored. And so again, it's um, it's the inability for parents to get information. That, to me, is in- incredibly disturbing because in order for us to protect the health and well-being of our families, we have to be educated and we have to be informed. And if, if, if someone in a position like the head of the CDC is, is unable to present information that she is seeing, 
then then there really is um, there there are going to be there are going to be dire consequences on the health of the kids. And some of those consequences, um, as we well know, Robin, include uh, you know children who do have allergies, extreme allergies, exposed to foods when they're uh, either mislabeled or not on the label. So when it comes to a mother with a uh, with an allergy kid, I mean, uh, how does that uh, how's that changed you know your life in terms of navigating the aisles, reading the labels, as you indicated? Uh, there's so many. Uh, modified forms of protein that are actually soy in nature that are never on the shelf. What about genetically modified foods? Are those on the labels now, Robin? In the U.S., they're not on the labels. I mean, if you were to be in Australia, if you're a mom in Australia, it's on the labels. If you're a mom in Russia, if you're a mom in the Philippines, it's on the labels. There have been lawsuits in the Russia and the Philippines when these ingredients were found in baby formula because of the concern of the risks that they would present. In the U.S., they are found in every can and every jar of baby formula unless an item is labeled USDA organic because by law, an item that is labeled USDA organic is not allowed to contain genetically engineered ingredients. And so, again, having been raised on Pulleys and Twinkies, I thought organic was sort of an alternative radical, radical lifestyle choice or something, you know, a lifestyle of the rich and famous. And suddenly, my husband and I sat down with our budget with four very small children and said, this is a health insurance premium that we're paying. And yes, it is a little bit more expensive to buy something that is USDA organic. But here's the reason why. Because they have to meet such stringent standards, and they are not allowed by law to contain these toxins and these chemicals. And that in, in choosing to buy USDA organic, we are basically taking our children out of the human trial and we're putting them on foods that moms around the world know are safe. And so as mothers, I I often suggest we can take a cue from the mothers in Europe, in Australia, Japan, Asia. The British Dietetic Association warned that children under the age of 12 months should not be exposed to soy. The French Food Agency is about to issue a similar warning saying that children under the age of three, and especially those with a family history of hypothyroidism, breast cancer, or allergies, should not be exposed to soy, given that 90% of soy now is genetically engineered to contain these toxins and these, these chemical additives. Um, their mothers in Europe are often advised for the first 12 weeks of pregnancy to be on an organic diet in order to reduce their exposure to pesticides and chemicals that are often found in the food supply because these pesticides, according to the Organic Center and with research available at the Environmental Working Group, these pesticides have been linked to autism and gestational diabetes. And again, had I been told that in any of my four pregnancies to go on an organic diet for the first 12 weeks, of course I would have. As mothers, you would do anything to protect the health and well-being of your children. And so there are so many simple easy things that we can do, you know, if a, if a family cannot afford USDA organic because of the higher cost that the government imposes on the organic farmers, then you can take a simple step of just reducing your exposure to processed foods. And again, reduce your child's exposures to processed foods. We can't pronounce half the ingredients on the side of those labels anyway. And so one of the things I often suggest is let's get back to the grandmother theory. Let's get back to feeding our children foods that you would have found in your grandmother's kitchen and the ingredient list. Have it be something that your grandmother would recognize and pronounce because 
she can't pronounce half the stuff, these X's and Y's that these things contain. And so by, by switching from the snack pack, processed food snack pack after school, back to an apple or banana, you are going so far in protecting the health of your child, more than you possibly realize, because there are thousands of these ingredients that are now found in these children's foods that have never been tested um, to determine the safety as it impacts a 40-pound little boy. And with the University of Washington, a study a couple years ago indicating that you know, or an organic diet made a difference in terms of pesticide residue in our children. I mean, that should be a wake-up call for for you know all of those physicians who educate mothers to be for for the culture as a whole. I think the problem is that, for example, in the food allergy world, the leading the leading pediatric allergists right. who have the microphone in their face every day out of these leading networks, they are conducting the research at the product safety centers of the agrochemical companies responsible for these pesticides. They are paid consultants to these industries. Mm. Robin, hold that thought. We're going to be back with more of the founder of Allergy Kids, allergykids.com. Robin O'Brien on Healthy Talk Radio. If you think echinacea is a village in Afghanistan, you need Healthy Talk Radio. Robin O'Brien joining us today, the founder of Allergy Kids, allergykids.com. And, and Robin, you know, with the news that those to whom we entrust the health of our children, uh, those that we would think would oversee uh, the safety of our food supply inside the Beltway, touched by vested interest, how do we make a difference armed with this information, with the mission that healthy child means a healthy world, as we can read more at uh, uh, allergykids.com? I think that there are a lot of steps that mothers, uh, fathers, grandparents that we can all take. Um, you can begin by uh, changing your shopping habits. You know, you can vote with your shopping cart because obviously um, in our system here in the U.S., money money is power. And so you can begin um, with steps like that. Another thing that I, that I tell parents all the time, um, it's remarkably easy to gain access to your representatives, whether it's a congressman or a senator. Um, we've attended meetings with a two-year-old on the hip, coloring books and sippy cup in hand, and have been able to affect remarkable change with that. Um, we've just had our congressman co-sponsor a bill to help um, shore up uh, legislation to protect these children in schools. Um, there, I, I think probably the most important thing right now is to educate. We have great resources on our site at allergykids.com. There's a remarkable documentary called The Future of Food, and in it they address... Um, the engineering of these viruses, chemicals, and toxins into the food supply and what government agencies around the world are doing, how the health minister out of Japan has said, we will watch the American children and we will see what happens to them. Hmm. You see this film and you realize um, that our, our basically our constitutional rights are, are in jeopardy here. And so, again, it's, it's time um, to engage. And, um, you know, people have been dismissed. It's, it's easy to push these things out. But, again, uh, with with the impact that the health of our children are having on all of us, it, it's just it's hit this generation of children so hard and so fast. And in order to basically pull them pull them out from underneath this bus that they've been thrown under, right. um, there's so much that we can do and we can engage. So, yeah, at AllergyKids.com, the resources there, we have great um, resources to medical teams, um, to advisors, to scientists that served under Reagan and Carter. Um, and, again, education is, is absolutely critical at this point. 
And, of course, a rich irony with mothers making the difference in each and every one of us lives, that mothers are going to make a difference in terms of, uh, I mean, really generations of Americans to come, Robin. It is. I say, you know, in a system that's failing our children, moms can't. We can't. And so it really is our time to step up, unfortunately. It's a brilliantly educated group of women with amazing backgrounds. You know, they're inside the EPA. They are accountants. They're lawyers. They're doctors. They're scientists. And we're brilliantly connected over the Internet. And there really is an ability to affect change. And so there's so much we can do. Good for you. Good for you. Privileged to have you join us. Come back anytime. Thank you so much. Thank you. Robin O'Brien joining us today. AllergyKids.com will tell you more. Our thanks to each and every one of you. Join us. I'm Deborah Ray reminding you, live long, stay healthy.